Recovery Elevator, episode 244. Drop the word alcoholic for a second. Just ask yourself, what is alcohol doing to the quality of your life? And if it's a problem, then that's all you need to know. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Gracie. She's from Chicago, Illinois. She's 32 years old and took her last drink on September 29th, 2018. In her interview, she talks about how grappling with alcohol was like dealing with a hostage negotiation. You are going to love this interview. The book, Alcohol is Shit, is available on Amazon, on ebook, Kindle formats, as well as paperback, and also you can get it on Audible and iTunes uh, in audio book format. And this book is still a bestseller in a couple of Amazon categories. How cool is that? You've still got time to sign up for a trip of a lifetime. This upcoming January 20th to the 31st, Recovery Elevator is putting on an alcohol-free trip to Thailand and Cambodia and Southeast Asia. Here are some reasons why the mind is probably telling you that you can't or shouldn't go. It's on the other side of the world. It's not cheap. Regarding my sobriety, I think I'm in a good spot. I got this. I don't speak Thai or Khmer. I don't know anyone who's going. I don't know if I can stay sober before the trip. I hear you. Those are all valid, but be conscious of where those thoughts are coming from. Now, here are some reasons I think you should go. It's going to take new experiences, people, places, and things to create your new life. Traveling the world with others who no longer wish to drink alcohol is a magical experience. Listen to the body, heart, and soul. It wants you to go. Thai food, elephants, bike rides through the Southeast Asia countryside, anger what? You'll build that alcohol-free community the heart has been yearning for. Go to recoveryelevator.com for the full itinerary and details. And after the interview with Gracie, I'll make another point about how hope is the problem. I thought I tied it all in perfectly last week and then I uploaded the podcast. It was like, damn it, there's one more thing I want to say. So I'll cover that after the interview. Okay, let's get started. I've yet to meet you in person. Well, most of you that is. But let me throw something out there and see if it sticks. Perhaps in adolescence, maybe in middle school or high school or college or even in your early 20s or 30s, part of you felt like you didn't fit in, that you found it difficult to fully be yourself in groups of people. I'm guessing at times you felt lonely and then we discover alcohol. The conversation starts to flow easier. Dialogue with the opposite sex isn't quite as awkward and the internal discomfort temporarily goes away. As the feeling of loneliness increases, so does the drinking. Do y'all dig with any of this? Did Did I hit the mark or am I way off? I have a feeling I can sense some heads nodding. We had a webinar a couple weeks ago in Cafe RE and this was the topic. We are drinking to connect. You've heard me say it before and as Johan Hari says in his TED talk, which I highly recommend, the opposite of addiction is connection. So, Let's chat about this for a moment before we hear from Gracie. And guys, I'm going through this too. This isn't like a Jesus and his disciples type of thing. I'm also working on connection. And the more I connect, the further I get away from alcohol. In fact, this connection component in my life from years four to five alcohol free has hit a new stride and it's beautiful. So first, let's cover the importance of connection. Human connection is an innate need to create a social bond with others. 
There's evidence of this need dating back to 30,000 BC in cave paintings. We are wired for interpersonal interactions. Our brains were designed for it and our bodies react physically when we experience a lack of interaction with other people. Our brains are filled with 100 billion cells, some of which exist purely to connect with each other. Neurons fire both when a person acts and when a person observes the actions of another. Observing the action of another person can trigger an urge to engage in a similar behavior. How often have you started yawning when a person around you yawns? We are designed to interact and connect with other humans. In fact, our very well-being depends on it. We are even designed to connect with animals. My dog, Ben, is a pretty damn cool dog and helped me big time on my journey. Hell, we still have a great connection. Most people have hundreds, sometimes thousands of friends, connections, or contacts on social media, yet reports of loneliness, disconnection, are rising. The United Kingdom sees the rate of loneliness as a crisis and has recently appointed a Minister of Loneliness. Wow, I wonder what that job description looks like. In America, a study shows that in 1970, 25% of people reported feeling alone. Today, only 50 years later, that figure has doubled and over 50% of people have reported feeling alone. Another study I came across said that 30 years ago, when someone faced a life crisis, they had an average of two to three people to turn to. Today, that figure is less than one. Wait a second, this can't be right. Aren't we more connected than ever? Check this out. Today, as I write this, it's possible to have a wristwatch connected to your phone, which is also connected to all your online social network platforms. You can also have a device that connects you to your heart rate and your footsteps. Even more devices and apps connect you to your appliances at home, and you can get notifications of everything from likes, comments, and your doorbell just rang through your AirPods, which are wirelessly connected. So we are approaching, and we are damn close, to being in a pickle of all pickles, which is how to connect. And everyone is grappling with this paradox of connection, not just the people who are saying peace to the booze. But for us, we found this temporary connection with alcohol, including myself, and we've decided or are in the process of deciding to ditch the booze and address this issue of disconnection or lack of connection head on. So first off, before I go any further, if this is you, you're ditching the booze, or you're thinking about ditching the booze, kudos to you. So please stop this episode for a second and recognize how much courage this takes. Seriously, let's all hit the pause button and imagine we're listening to this episode in a big group, including myself, and let's just give everybody a high five because it takes courage to address this connection issue head on without the booze. Me too. So nice job, Paul Churchill. Nice job, everybody listening. You've listened to the inner voice who isn't craving alcohol. It's craving connection. All righty, let's continue. So how to connect. There are infinite ways to connect. And I'm only going to mention a few because it's so much more important to focus on the why you're connecting and then the how always solves itself. Why you're connecting? Because as human beings, we need it. That's how we are wired. To be happy, whole, and truly free, alcohol-free, we need connection. In fact, the longest-running happiness study of all time, this is the Harvard Happiness Study, 
I cover this in my book, but I think it's like a 60, 70, 80 year study reports that people who have more connections, good friends in their life demonstrate higher levels of happiness. There really is no mystery to it. So start setting an intention for connection every single morning when you wake up. Ask for connection. And please don't get preoccupied on who you're asking. Just ask for connection. Do a mic check in the morning. I don't care how you do this. You can go check one. Check two. Can I get a connection? Start setting the intention for connection. Now, we're immediately going to look external for this connection. What I mean is we look up Facebook events. We look at the community calendar in the newspaper. Start texting colleagues, etc., which is a great start. But aim for this to be a 50% of the strategy, and the other 50% needs to be internal. And this is where it gets exciting. I'm a total geek when it comes to building this connection internally. This can look like meditation, but it's different. So sit in a quiet and comfortable place. Ideally, you do this in the morning shortly after you wake up. And please make time for this because it's important. And then imagine that you already have the connection. Think of individuals you've connected with at some point in your life and say thank you for that connection and reinforce that you still have it. Repeat this process for 5 to 15 minutes every morning. It's only going to take a couple consecutive weeks of you doing this exercise for a connection to start showing up in your life at a higher level. Trust me, I've personally experienced it. This is Manifestation 101, Quantum Science 101. What you seek is also seeking you. You become the magnet for this connection instead of you seeking it out. It finds you. Fudge, how cool is that? Another big reason we want to focus on building this internal connection is because it's not contingent on external factors. If the connection is built within, we can go through rough, difficult times in life and still feel that warmth, that warm heart area, that space inside, that connection will still be there. Another reason why the internal connection is super important is because, like I said, it has nothing to do with what's going on in the outside environment. For example, you could have a connection with a, with a book club or a running group, and then your job could relocate you to a different part of the country. You might have a connection um, with a running group and then some unfortunate life circumstances could happen. You could have an injury that will prevent you from running with the running group. So this internal connection, I'm even going to go out and say, let's boost that 50% strategy up to like 60 to 65% strategy with internal connection and the rest external. To summarize internal versus external connection, if you address the internal connection, the external connection solves itself. Seriously, if we dedicate time building that internal connection, the authentic bridge between the heart and soul, then the external connection always solves itself. So if internally we have a connection, this is joy that we experience at all times, regardless of what's happening outside of life, then externally the relationships just show up. That connection will always solve itself. Now, why this is hard to do, it's because we're going into the unknown. There's a whole lot of trust here. So I'm not asking anybody, and I don't expect anybody, and I was not able to do this myself, to go 100% internal, trusting that the external will completely solve itself. But I do encourage you to place a large emphasis on the internal connection. Let's address technology real quick. Technology will soon be the greatest addiction of all time. We're not going to go there now, but be aware of this. 
Currently, I want you to leverage technology in your favor. Cafe RE on Facebook is awesome, but use it for connection and not validation. It's also a conduit for in-person connection. Meetup.com, great way to form those in-person connections as well. Follow Recovery Elevator on Instagram, but the RE Instagram feed isn't going to solve the connection issue. However, many of the posts will point you in the right direction. So connection, could it be that simple that all the anxiety, depression, deep pangs of loneliness are no more than biological markers or indicators that we need to connect and we find a shortcut with alcohol? Yes, addiction is complicated, but please let's not overcomplicate this. Addictions are no more than signposts that we need to allow the connection to happen. This is a big concept, listeners, and I know you're ready for it. And before we hear from Gracie, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. The three most important lessons I've learned while quitting drinking are, we can't do this alone, we need accountability, and a supportive community is key. In the private unsearchable Facebook groups Cafe RE, you're going to get all three and much more. What does private mean? Well, these groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who's in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to ditch the booze. These groups are capped at under 350 members to ensure a quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking doesn't have to suck. In fact, it can be a lot of fun. For $19 a month, you too can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and much more. Oh yeah, you'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Gracie, sweetheart, how are you? I'm doing good, Paul. How are you doing? Gracie, I'm doing great. Before I hit record, Gracie, you said you were nervous. Is that, is that, did I hear that right? Oh my gosh, I am so, I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> freaking out. Let's go like level of like one to one to five. No, no, no. One to, one to 10. Let's go one to a hundred. Where are you at? One to a hundred. Oh, I'm at like an 89. An 89. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're just going to power through this because I think you're the first person out of 245 guests to say they're nervous for a podcast. <laughs> totally kidding. Well, it's the first time I've really talked about this ever with anyone, truly, Paul. I've I've never really gone over my story with anybody other than my maybe my therapist, and that's about it. I know, and so I want you guys to know, you as well, Gracie, that every time I hit the record button, I get nervous too. So I'm right there <laughs> with you. But I do want to let you know, Gracie, that the listeners, this audience is the most supportive, genuine, loving compassionate, non-judgmental audience you will ever meet. And I had the pleasure, uh, right now it's Wednesday, last Sunday is when I said goodbye to 72 members of the Recovery Elevator Retreat, and there was so much love. And so uh, I remember that, and I know that while doing the interview, sometimes I, I get in my head a little bit. We all struggle with the imposter syndrome, and sometimes I just I just need to remember, and I do remember, say, oh, wait a second, this is the most loving and kind audience of all time. So I want you to know that. We are both supported. We are both loved. And this is going to be a fun talk. Are you ready for it? I'm so ready. Okay. All right. Well, let's get right into this. When was your last drink, Gracie? My last drink was September 29th, 2018, which was about 10 months and three weeks ago. Wow. 10 months. 
21 days ago. How does it feel, Gracie? You know, it feels, most days it feels amazing. And I would say there are even some months at a time that feel phenomenal. But, you know, I'm not going to, not going to lie. I almost wanted to reschedule this interview just because the last couple of weeks, especially, have been very, very difficult. I was acting as what you would call maybe a dry drunk or a hungry ghost, however you want to put that. But with a big move recently and a lot of changes, a lot of old patterns are coming up for me. And I thought, I can't go do a podcast. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm barely holding it together myself. But I'm here to just say that, you know, so far as part of the process, you've got some mostly really good days and you've got some really tough days too. Gracie, there's a lot to unpack right there. And you said most days, it's incredible. Most days does not encompass all days. So there's a misconception Mm -hmm. that we quit drinking. It's just a panacea, just pure utopia from here on out. So we're going to talk about the days that aren't (laughs) most days. I appreciate your authenticity already with that. And yeah, listeners, uh, we talked a little bit before I hit record. Gracie made a big move to Chicago about three weeks ago. A whole lot of new for Gracie. And mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned you almost rescheduled the interview because I was going to bring that up. I wrote that on my notepad because um, <laughs> sometimes I get emails from people who are like, hey, I drank three days ago. I know I scheduled this interview three weeks ago. I need to reschedule. And I say, hang tight. No, let's do it. Now is the best time. And of, of course, some of those old tendencies are going to come up. You're in a new environment. You've been there for three weeks. You're totally outside your comfort zone. Good job for making that move. And you can't beat yourself up for that. There were old coping strategies and techniques that were implemented in the past, and they're showing up right now, but there's a great opportunity to move forward in this new environment. Like you're doing it. You, you didn't reschedule the interview. You said, you know what? I'm going to move forward with it. So you're already making progress. Do you see what I'm saying there? Absolutely. And you know what? When I did think about rescheduling, I thought, you know how many people have been on your podcast just laying it out there, laying out the truth, being honest about how it's not always easy. It's not always sunshine and butterflies. You know, there's a lot of amazing things to say about what a sober life can give you. I could go on for ages about all the positive effects it's had on my life. But the truth is right now where I am today or even yesterday and the day before I've been on the struggle bus and, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Patterns don't just disappear over time. Getting rid of alcohol definitely helps you to see those patterns and it helps you to not make um, impulsive or destructive decisions, but the patterns themselves don't go away. You just become more and more aware of them and uh, things just keep being brought up to the surface for you to kind of deal with and, and to learn from. So that's what's been going on for me lately. Gracie, you're just slow pitching this stuff over the plate for me right now. I love how you said removing alcohol allows us to see the patterns, which is exactly what's happening here. You're seeing the patterns as the observer. You're not getting sucked into it. You're seeing things happen and you're one step detached from it. You're saying, oh, wait a second. This is some of the control behavior that I exhibited when I was drinking. That was a part of my life. And then you have a choice and I've already know your choice is I'm going to depart from those old patterns, but it takes time. But when we're drinking, what we don't have is the ability to see that stuff. We don't have a shot. There's no chance that we can see these things and these blind spots become even more blind. They get more fully entrenched with the neurological patterns in the brain and it becomes harder and harder to see the stuff and depart from it. So holy buckets, Gracie, we're, we're, we're five minutes in and we're, 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 we're you're, you're dropping value bombs and I, I'm just like throwing in fluff right now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gracie's podcast taking over episode 245 and on. I'm just going to be listening in. All right. My nervousness is down to a 74. 74. I did just tell you you're taking over the RE podcast. You sure it's a 74? 
I'm sure it's okay. way up there still. So. <laughs> okay. Like I said, this audience loves everybody, and this audience also loves <laughs> themselves. Okay. Gracie, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Well, my name is Grace. I grew up in the Midwest. I'm currently living in Chicago. Wait, did you say Grace? Uh, yes. Am I calling or you Gracie. Gracie? Oh, yeah. My family and my friends call me Gracie, but okay. technically am I, my name is Am I like on Grace. Gracie status yet? Let us know. Let me know. You're, oh, you're way, you're on Gracie status for sure. Okay, because it's for like sure. formal, like my buddy, I have a friend <laughs> named Steven, but once you get to be good friends with him, he's Steve. And like, I just mm-hmm. want to make sure, A, your, your signature said Gracie. So actually, you want me to call yeah. you Gracie? Is that okay? That's totally fine, Paul. I'm about to tell you some real personal stuff, so you're on the Gracie level. All right, so I'm 32. I am a nurse. I uh, love camping, backpacking. I just got home from camping yesterday. I love traveling abroad, doing medical trips. I'm recently getting into rocks and minerals, like Hank from Breaking Bad. Don't call them crystals because they're rocks and minerals. I love Um, how you brought Hank from Breaking Bad into a recovery podcast. Love it. They're minerals, Marie. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I love running and, um, I live with my boyfriend who's wonderful. He's also four years sober. Whoa, um, four and that's cool. And so we are just living domestic bliss right now. <laughs> that is awesome. And, and how, how, how has it been having a boyfriend who's been sober for four years? Is it just like, Hey, got a question experiencing this? Yeah, it is kind of cool. So his best friend and my best friend have been trying to get us to meet for years. And finally, we met, we hit it off. And it has been kind of cool to be able to bounce off ideas or or share where I'm at and have someone understand what that's like. And it's also really nice to live um, with a person who takes like their growth and their their self-awareness as seriously as I, as I do. So it's just an, a nice environment to live in. And um, he's just a wonderful human being. He's been through, been through a lot and we share a lot together and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's also important to recognize that journeys are totally different. I was chatting with somebody who in the same situation like this and their journeys were so different. And so you've probably noticed the same thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the stories might be different. The, the ways and the amounts, that we drink and, and our, you know, our rock bottom stories are different, but at the core of it all, we have a lot of the, you know, as all addicts sort of do have a lot of the secrecy and the shame and, and that kind of stuff. So to be able to relate to someone on those levels is, is really amazing. And it's, it's been kind of a deeper relationship than I've had before. So while, you know, it's my first year of sobriety, you're not supposed to get into relationships. Uh, this one's been a long time coming and I'm actually, I'm very grateful that we're, taking this chance in my first year of sobriety of, of living together and, and doing this because it's been, it's been an amazing experience so far. And, and Gracie, I have to make this video like twice a year with, uh, with journeys being different. We've heard the phrase, uh, comparison is a thief of all joy. We often have journey envy where, especially in support groups or even in AA meetings, you'll see people who, you know, they quit drinking and their life just takes off and for others it doesn't. <laughs> and so I just want to m- make that clear for listeners, but how cool. I'm glad you took a chance. Yeah, we're, yeah, me too. And I think we both are in charge of our own journeys. You know, like we, I don't, don't try to look at his and say, oh, I want to be there. I have got my own goals going on. He has his own goals. And so, so I try to keep that in mind. Yeah. And those are all recommendations. And I think it's sound advice to limit the large changes you make in your first 12 months. And that's just like a number picked out of a hat, right? 
And however, when you quit mm-hmm. drinking, the volume knob on life will turn up and it could be your job that is turned up so intense that you might need to quit your job in the first three months, right? Let's get into your background regarding alcohol. Get us up to speed on your journey. When did you first recognize that alcohol was becoming problematic? Did you have any rock bottom moments? Did you ever attempt to quit, ever attempt to moderate? Get us up to speed and, and try to try to give us dates and times. Alrighty. So I was a late bloomer to alcohol. I actually didn't drink until I was about 19 years old. There's a lot of um, addiction in my family, uh, specifically alcoholism in my family. So I kind of saw that growing up and didn't really want um, to be a part of that. But then, of course, you know, 19 years old, off at college, peer pressure finally gets in. I get curious and start drinking. I really hated the taste of alcohol. So I would always drink like these disgusting, like Smirnoff ice and Boone Farm and wine coolers just to be able to get the effects of alcohol. But uh, newsflash, uh, alcohol is disgusting. My drinking didn't really get worse until um, about age 21, 22, when I was in the Peace Corps. I was like really partying really hard with other volunteers. And then I would have these um, days at a time where I would be completely alone and isolated. So I would drink alone. And that was the first time I started really drinking alone and drinking excessively. As my mid-20s went on, I was, you know, typical mid-20-year-old partying with friends, except um, in addition to binge drinking on the weekends, I was also coming home and drinking um, by myself. And what was coming up a lot in those nights of loneliness or rejection from a relationship or just not wanting to deal with anxiety coming up. And I would just you know, drink gin or drink vodka and write some really bad poetry and call it a night. Um, but that became very habitual. So by the time my late 20s were coming around, and we're talking like age 26, 27, I was a very regular drinker. So like minimum, minimum of two drinks at any time, but most days of the week, binge drinking on weekends, having blackouts. And it didn't even really occur to me to stop drinking until I was probably 27 or 28. I didn't have uh, the quote unquote typical rock bottoms. I had a lot of soft bottoms. So I wasn't getting, you know, fired from my jobs or getting DUIs, getting thrown in jail. You know, I was wrecking relationships for sure, but I wasn't having any legal consequences necessarily. And, And people weren't telling me or giving me feedback like, hey, you're drinking a lot or you were so wasted last night because I would always really hold it together. So people were always like, oh, you were drunk last night? And I would be blackout drunk. And, they, you know, some, some of my friends were saying that they didn't notice, which was always kind of a badge of honor for me that I could hold my liquor. But about age 27 or so, the kind of chink in the armor was when I started getting curious about like spiritual growth and self-help books. And I think as a nurse and having traveled around different places, you see a lot of pretty traumatic stuff and you start to wonder, you know, what's the purpose of all this? Where am I going with life? What do I want my life to be like? And when I started getting into self-help and the spiritual path, um, like meditation retreats, plant medicine, things like that, the messages that kept coming up were like from my heart saying, like, you know that you're drinking is holding you back, right? Like, <laughs> that's what kept coming from my heart. It's like, you have to stop drinking. You were just completely obliterating yourself. And wait, your wait, did you say plant medicine retreats? Yeah. Yeah, I did a, three of those. Is that and ayahuasca? I was drinking that whole time. Yes. And yes. the messages you got while doing ayahuasca was it's the drinking that's holding you back? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was plain. I mean, I, I knew this on a subconscious level that I was numbing myself out and keeping myself stunted 
and I think you've spoken about using plant medicine before, all of the things that are kind of your truth come out to the point that you can't stop um, denying them anymore. And that was a message that came out among other things was your alcohol is, is stunting your spiritual path. It's stunting your, your life purpose and you have to stop. And I still didn't stop. I had a message from like the great beyond and I still did not stop drinking. It took me several more years after that. Yeah. And listeners, a thing that plant medicine can do is it can say, Hey Paul, have a seat. Here's a PowerPoint presentation of your life. And here's some, (laughs) here's some good recommendations. It's totally up to you. If you want to take this recommendation from the divine source, uh, okay. And ready to go. Yeah. So keep going. Yeah. And then it got to, yeah. Well, I mean, the message was kind of always, it was like a, a rumble in me all along as my drinking was ramping up and I was having, so I was having more blackouts and more um, chaos in my romantic relationships and, and friendships. I thought, you know, I'm going to have to quit someday. I just, not today, basically. Um, and then as I started getting curious about, okay, well, how might I quit? Or maybe I can moderate. Now we're getting into like the, okay, you know, my spirit is essentially saying I need to stop this, but how do I do that? And so for several years, I was in this like very painful space of wanting and desiring to not drink anymore, but still drinking. And this is like kind of where the majority of the pain in my story is, is like age 27 to 30. Let me me interrupt real quick. I know some (laughs) listeners will want to are interested in when you said my spirit wanted me to quit drinking. Can you expand a little bit on how you knew it was a spirit or just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. And, you know, I'm using that word kind of loosely um, because I'm kind of a skeptical at heart. But at the same time, you know, I have this longing for knowing, you know, what else there is and the mystery of life and the mystery of why we're all here. So I'm not a religious person and, you know, there might be some people kind of rolling their eyes when I use the woo-woo language, but at the same time, when I say spirit, I just mean like that calling that comes from within you, whether it's your, you know, the angel on one of your shoulders versus the devil on one of your shoulders, whether it's your subconsciousness, whether it's your guide or just your heart. Could be gut gut wisdom or intuition. Could be your gut. Yeah, your intuition. And when I wasn't medicating that intuition, what was coming up was like, kiddo, you got to stop this. Like, like, honey, you can't, you can't keep doing this to yourself, to your, to your soul. You can't keep numbing your, your body. And, Gracie, and I not have to comment how I love how you said kiddo, because you know, it's wisdom or gut <laughs> intuition when the, when the verbiage around it is softened, right? It's, it's the ego yeah. will jump in and use much harsher language, but the, the wisdom, the gut intuition will say, sweetheart, kiddo, look, yeah, <laughs> yeah tiger, let's do this. I love yeah. it. Keep going. Yeah, mine always, mine always says Gracie girl, like Gracie girl, honey, like, you know, better. And that, that distance between knowing better and being able to do better was the full addiction. At that point, I was fully addicted to alcohol. I craved it. You know, I wasn't having severe withdrawals necessarily, but I was withdrawing from it when I wouldn't drink. And I would, I would try my hardest to just use my, my logic and my willpower and and as much as I could to make rules for myself, like I only drink on the weekends, that would never work out. I would always drink by Tuesday. Um, I'll only have two drinks. I'll only have one drink. And, you know, that might work one or two times. But by the third time, I'm drinking just like I used to. And at this point, I was dipping my toe into things like your podcast, like Recovery Elevator, home podcast, books like Drinking a Love Story and Brittany Brown's work and Pema children and just kind of getting a mix of 
ways that I might kind of get out of this in a way that wasn't really even about the alcohol itself. Like how could I bring myself and my soul up to a different level so that I wouldn't try to be drowning myself in alcohol all the time. Hang on. Is this in 2015? 2015, 2016. Okay. And that's when your email, you mentioned what's when your sober curious days started. Covered that about (laughs) seven episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was like Googling, am I an alcoholic? I was doing everything I could to like, you know, just not admit it, but still try to control the problem. And something really hit me in about 2017, Holly Glenn Whitaker's podcast and Laura McCowan's podcast, Home. They talked about, you know, drop the word alcoholic for a second. Just ask yourself, what is alcohol doing to the quality of your life? And if it's a problem, then that's all you need to know. And I was like, so relieved because the loaded word alcoholic didn't have to apply. I wasn't weighed down by the stigma of that. And I could just start working on the fact that it was not serving my life and that it was really detracting a lot from the quality of my life. And so from there, I started getting a little bit more than sober curious. And I started to really like read a ton of books and information and ingest as much as I could about sobriety. And it still took me, like I said, three years to really to get very serious about it. But you mentioned dipping your toe into it at first, and that's that's how this goes. I loved how in your email you said, I didn't start drinking until age 19, and then it slowly and steadily crept up over the years until I struggled for three years to quit. Like a low-grade shit show, and also like a long-term <laughs> hostage situation. And yeah. what's happening here is when your intention has been set, these are the sober, curious days, the pain actually ramps up. And when the intention has been set, that's the unconscious, the conscious, the heart, the soul, your internal and external environment, they're all operating in harmony and concert to meet your goal of quitting drinking. And the way this works, unfortunately, with addiction, for the most part, is things start to ramp up. And sometimes it's the pain, the suffering, the rock bottom moments happen. And it doesn't always happen this way, but but uh, this is the kind of the normal progression. And you, you might might say three years. Well, that's not three years of like. I mean, you said you fell off the wagon more times than you can count. I also oh, had yeah. that same same thing for about three to four years. But I needed to fall off the wagon every single time. None of it was mm-hmm. a waste. It's true. And if anyone right now is listening to this in that same space, like I have so much compassion for you and so much respect for you for keep keeping trying and and keep going that state that you're in when you know what you want and you're so you're just you're done with alcohol but you like you feel like you you just can't quit and you keep you keep falling off that wagon over and over and you keep getting up that all of that pain will serve you one time one you know one day so like me looking back at that time i that was such a painful time for me and being sober is so much less painful than that time i'm not saying it's easy It's difficult a lot of days, but at the same time, that pain of not being in congruence with who you are, what you want, what you're capable of, what your what your heart is telling you to do, and just getting blackout drunk all the time, or even just flipping and having one to two drinks and feeling that that shame and that demoralization, that is the most painful part. So if anyone listening is in that space, just know like I have so much compassion for you and so much respect for you to keep trying. Your new Recovery Elevator podcast host, everybody. (laughs) 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was in the hamster wheel of addiction, that that's a tough time. And let's not, let's not tiptoe around that. It's, it's difficult one. Once the intention has been set and this is when it becomes a one way street, Gracie, I know you can attest to that. Once it becomes a one way street, that's it. You can't go back. And sometimes it's a three year journey, five year journey. Sometimes it's a three day journey. So I don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want to put a, a finite or a time, a time value on that and say, look, Paul says it's three years or you took Gracie three years. It can happen at any time. And the only time it actually can happen is now. I've interviewed people on this podcast where I think the relationship of spontaneous sobriety should be they wake up and the energetic vibration in the brain or the brain and body overpowers the energetic vibration of the addiction instantly. And that can happen. It's all energies. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what's happening as well as we're building more energy around a life of sobriety, a life that involves no alcohol. And once we reach a tipping point, go back about 20 episodes to talk about tipping points, when that energetic vibration is at a higher frequency than the one of the addiction, game over. Mm-hmm. It, that's when the magic oh, yeah. happens. But getting to that point, it can be tricky. And like you said, it, it, it can be a difficult time, but it's important, and just covered this a couple episodes ago, that time still has to be blanketed with compassion, love, acceptance, all those beautiful words. Yeah, it really does. Fortunately, when I did stop drinking in September, I kind of made like a cocoon for myself of sobriety of just taking a ton of baths and having my my freaking crystals around me and uh, and reading books and staying in and and just really nurturing myself and nurturing my sobriety because it was such a tender little thing and I knew it was so fragile. So you know, I was trying you know to be why, so Gracie? kind to myself because well, it is fragile. <laughs> it is, and that's what that, that's what Gracie Bear needed. Yeah, that's what Gracie Girl needed. Gracie that's Girl, right. that's right. That's what Gracie Girl <laughs> yeah. needed. That's it. You listen to yeah. it. You listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are signs, there are indications of, of how to walk about this journey. It gets complicated when a mind jumps in and a mind has a predetermined outcome of what we need to do, how it's supposed to look, etc. But if we can quiet the mind and listen, it'll say, Gracie girl, get in the bath. Take 30 baths every day. Yeah. First 30 days. I love oh, it. Oh, I, I used to take two baths a day some days and just, you know, meditated all, all the time. And it was really important for me to do that because it was such a fragile little thing. And I don't think that I would have been able, you know, baths are nice and, and, you know, self-luxuriating is nice thing and it's good, but I had to really work on tools so that I wouldn't resort to drinking. So like some people are raised, um, no, I'm not trying to crap on my parents right now, but some people are raised to know how to feel their feelings. That was something that I wasn't taught. I had to learn at age 30 to learn how to feel my feelings. And that was a huge tool that helped me get through those first couple months um, where everything felt so fragile and I felt like I would just relapse again. So focusing on learning how to feel what was coming up for me in addition to just being as kind to myself as I could, I think really put me in a a stronger spot early on. Thank God. Some of you might be saying, learn how to feel my feelings. Yes. This is something, especially on the Western part of the globe, uh, we don't do well. We've been taught at an early age to squash it to bottle it up, put it in the recesses of the body. And sometimes we actually open the bottle and use a bottle to, to extinguish it more in the form of alcohol. I love how you said that Gracie. And how did it feel after you started to, to feel your, your feelings? And this is a skill set. This is like a complete skill set that we need to deepen with. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I would hear people in the sobriety network talk about feeling your feelings and I would roll my eyes. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know where to begin with that. I didn't even acknowledge that I had anger as a feeling. So that's kind of where I was starting from. I would be afraid to feel a feeling coming on (laughs) 
And so I was learning to like wrap myself in a blanket and say, okay, a feeling is coming. Let it come. See what it was. And, you know, this is where meditation helps you not freak out because you're like, okay, this is going to pass. I'm just looking at what's happening and then it drifts away. But I was, I was starting from like a, like a very basic foundation of, oh, I feel X, Y, or Z, whether it be lonely or whether it be sad, whether it be afraid, you know, whatever it was. And that took months. It took months for me to just trust that if a feeling was coming up, that it wouldn't swallow me whole. And honestly, that's what I spent most of my first couple of months sober doing. And the more I was able to do that, the less it was necessary for me to drink because I was drinking to just cut that circuit short so that if a feeling was coming on, I would just, you know, guzzle a bunch of wine and it would, I wouldn't have to deal. Now I know a feeling is going to come in. They're coming in all the time, more so in early sobriety than ever, but they're, they're going to stay for a while. They're going to teach me something. And then they always, always, always leave without swallowing me whole. So just learning to trust myself that I can feel things without needing to kind of tamp it down or, or make it a little quieter. I like, I don't need to do that anymore. So that was the majority of my sobriety work in the first couple months there. And Gracie, the two best pieces of advice I can give in terms of learning how to feel the feelings is number one, don't double down on the feeling you're currently having. For example, don't be mad that you're mad. That's doubling down. Don't be sad that you're sad. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I think Pema Chodron or anyone in Buddhism really talks about how the, uh, an additional amount of suffering is always put on the fact that you notice that you're suffering and you start to feel sorry for yourself or you feel the pain of a story behind it and it's mm -hmm. the feeling itself is enough that's really all you need to do is just focus on the feeling itself not the backstory not the the additional fact that you're like oh no i'm having a sad yeah just the feeling itself if you just really really like really dig into it let it wash over you for a while give yourself 15 20 minutes even and it might be 30 seconds but it will pass and it does does me a lot of good i'm really glad that i learned that it sounds so simple but it it was something i never ever did so don't double down and the second thing is a word that you mentioned is trust we need to have unconditional trust that the body is doing exactly what it's been designed through thousands and thousands of years of evolution is designed to heal now what this means is well we've heard the word post-acute withdrawal syndrome take the word syndrome and just throw it out this is post-acute withdrawal symptoms that's a little better let's go with healing symptoms your body is recalibrating you're giving yourself permission to express these feelings these emotions and just allowing these energies to go and so not for a second to want anybody to say something is malfunctioning there's something wrong with me at the core level i've been sober for six months, feel like dog doo-doo. I shouldn't be feeling like this. It's exactly what's supposed to be happening. Your body is releasing these energetic vibrations at the perfect time. If you were to, and, and it is, if it's at six months, perfect. It wasn't supposed to happen a month one or two. So it's important we allow these things to just come as they go. And ask yourself this every time, say, am I okay at this moment? 99% of the time, probably 99.99% of the time, you're okay. You're totally fine. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Gracie, let's back it up a little bit. Was there was there a rock bottom moment you had before you quit drinking on September 29th? You know, there were a lot of like really heartbreaking moments along the way. And that's why I told you in that email, it was more like a like a hostage negotiation for a while where I was just on the inside, like, please let me out, like trying to let myself out. And it was also just a constant low grade shit show where I would, you know, my life was functional. I had a job, I was paying the bills, but like, 
my relationships were not good. I was losing things all the time, missing appointments, not in good health, not in good mental health for sure. And so it was just like a constant low grade feeling of dysfunction. I was always quote unquote smart enough, whatever that means, not to get caught. But I was listening to one of your podcasts before where a, a person had said like, yeah, you didn't get caught that time or or something didn't happen to you that time. And I knew that it was a matter of time before I would, you know, get into some legal trouble or lose my job or, or do some irreparable damage. And I, I knew that was coming. And I knew that the volume on my drinking was going up enough that that was right around the corner. I'd say like a worst memory, I guess, is, you know, this is really shameful to talk about, but I was with a partner for a long, long time. And, you know, waking up next to him in the morning and not knowing if we had had sex, you know, that was like such a shameful, awful feeling. And I was drinking to that blackout point where I would wake up in the morning and not know. And that was just really devastating to me how many times that I would do that to myself. Or, um, you know, post that relationship ending, I got blackout drunk with coworkers. And when I woke up in the morning, I had broken some things in my apartment, which wow. is just not my personality at all. And so it was almost like, who did this feeling? And it was a person in pain. It was, it was a person in extreme pain who wasn't even conscious enough to know they were doing that. So there were a lot of like heart, small, like small and big heartbreaking moments, but it was mostly just damaging myself rather than trying to damage everyone around me. But there was a moment pretty soon after that point where I was just looking out the window and I did finally, you know, I guess some people say they have a serenity moment or like a surrender moment. And um, I was staring out the window at a sunset and I finally said a prayer and my prayer was like, just please help me get out of my own way please, please, please help me get on my own, get out of my own way. And from that point on, I was taking sobriety really, really seriously. And it was only a matter of time before my last drink after that point. Wow. You hit your tipping point. Yeah. I was just miserable. Yeah. It's, it's miserable a moment all of the serenity, down. the moment of clarity when we hit that tipping point and we know that alcohol is a thing of the past and it doesn't necessarily mean we never drink again we might do some more filled research the next week so i knew about a week before my sobriety date that's when i hit my tipping point and then i drank a couple more beers after that but there was it was a one-way street it always is but that's when the rubber hit the road and let's talk about the tools mm -hmm. that you used in your email you, you mentioned several great ones share with us how you did it so I actually didn't even realize how much, how many resources I was pulling from until preparing for this interview. I was starting to jot some down and I was like, wow, I was really immersed in the uh, sobriety community. But my favorite uh, resources getting sober were podcasts like this one. There's a retired podcast called Home Podcast, which is um, by Holly Glenn Whitaker and Laura McCowan. Um, Laura McCowan. Laura McCowan also went on with Meadow DeVore to make spiritualish podcast, which is equally great. A lot of books. I could not get my hands on enough books. I would just basically go on websites where it said like the top, you know, 10 books to read in, in recovery. And I would just, you know, order all the books and read them. And the ones that stand out the most are probably like Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle, all of Brene Brown stuff, Untethered Soul, Realm of the Hungry Goes, a bunch of Buddhist stuff. And then now for maintenance, resources. I have a sobriety tracker on my phone and I, I check it almost every single day and I do post on it. There's a an app. Do you want 
specific names of sure, apps mentioned. Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's app, an app called okay, Nomo. <laughs> Nomo. Nomo's the one I use is Nomo, where you can have some you can have partners that you just message and check in with each other, and you can read what other people post. And I like that one a lot. The other thing, maintenance wise, that I'm doing is you know running, um, trying to take my health more seriously. I've lost lost weight. I feel better talking with other people who are sober and they are out there it just you kind of have to breach the subject first to find them sometimes in work or in society and yeah and I just I still can't get my hands on enough books I can't wait for a couple more books to be coming out this year by Laura McCowan and Holly Glenn Whitaker and there's always new ones hitting the hitting the shelves all the time yeah, apart from your boyfriend who's been sober for four years, and I think you just mentioned a couple of friends who are also going down this path. Have you been able to embrace yeah. a, com- a community or do you have an in-person community that you're, that you're meeting up with? You know, I, I don't. And this is something that I am thinking there's going to be like a next phase in this growing, uh, the sobriety growth curve, because I think it might be time for me to start going to meetings. I'd never gone to AA before. I had gone way back in the day when I was dating someone who was in AA, um, ironically enough. And he invited me to come to like a, an open meeting. And so I kind of saw that what that was all about. And so, you know, I haven't done that in my sobriety now, but it seems like kind of an area I need to develop where I'm being more open about it. I'm in a social um, situation because the first few months of my sobriety were all very like isolated, very self-care taking, only, you know, only revealing what I was going through to small pockets of people. And now I'm like, you know, it's, it's out there. It's, it's part of my day-to-day life, um, posting about it on social media. It's not a secret anymore. And so the next step for me um, will probably at some point be like a support group um, just to kind of get out there and, and be social and, and have to to lean on. Gracie, you said something where listeners are going to, they just said, no way, not a chance. And that was, you've posted this on social media. (laughs) What was the response? Oh man, it's really interesting. So, oh, I forgot to mention therapy. Therapy has been a humongous (laughs) research. Oh, therapy. (laughs) Yeah, by the way. Professional um, therapy. Yeah, once a month. um, And then during very stressful times, I would, I would be able to go once a week even. And so, oh my God, I can't believe I even forgot that. It's been a huge huge cornerstone in my recovery has been going to a therapist who can who knows your background they know your history they are able to offer cognitive tools but yeah posting on so I asked my therapist hey should I post this on social media what what could be the repercussions of this and she was like I don't know just do it if you want to (laughs) the response was so supportive my close friends already knew my family already knew but my coworkers and people who were just kind of in the periphery of my life were so supportive. And even some people who I know to be a little on the heavier drinking side would reach out and say, you know, how did you do it? Or what do you, you know, do you have any tips? And a couple of several people actually have done that. So I think, I think people are getting sober curious. They're, you know, that's the kind of the phrase du jour. And um, if we can just share honest truth about our lives, um, and have that be uncomfortable for a minute and just have it be out there. It's, it's proven to be a very good thing for me as a, as a private and isolated person. It's proven to be a really, a very good challenge for me to share that part of my life. Yeah. Nice job. And listeners, if you want to catapult your journey forward, post on social media, I've yet to hear of a bad response yet. And I get screenshots of when people finally post up after six months or a year, or even after one week, away from alcohol. And the response is incredible. And just like you said, people say, Hey, Gracie, uh, 
I'm drinking a little much here. Uh, any tips, right? You never know who's struggling. So it's almost your duty, your obligation to, to help others. I always tell people, though, like, I, I, I am not an expert. I am not uh, by any means, uh, you know, some guru on sobriety. But I do. It is nice to be able to share the resources um, with other people and have them be on their own journey, too. That's what you're doing right now. And listeners, we've reached the rapid fire round. Gracie, are you ready? Oh, God, yes. What is a light bulb <laughs> moment? I was nervous for. <laughs> what is a light bulb moment you've had on this journey, Gracie? I guess when I first heard stop obsessing about the word alcoholic and just look at what drinking is doing in your life. Huge, huge turning moment for me. And another um, light bulb moment was hearing on the home podcast, know what you can and can't F with. And for me, alcohol is something I can't F with at all. What is a gift sobriety has given you? So much energy. So when I wake up in the morning, I never, oh God, not gagging on my toothbrush is like the best (laughs) way to start my morning. I don't wake up with shame about what I did last night or what I said. I'm not calling in sick to work because I feel like garbage. I just have energy from the minute I I wake up. And so like my physical health, um, my skin, my hair, my stamina at the gym, like everything um, from from the get-go till the end of the day, sleeping at night and sleeping hard has been wonderful. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Love I love ginger ale. I love this Jamaican drink called Ting. Mm. It's so good. And if you live in, well, you're in Bozeman, so I'm not sure if it'll be there. But when I moved to this bigger city, it's everywhere, and it's like it's kind of like Squirt. How do you spell it? But it's very Ting T I N G. Okay. And it's super yummy. It's like gingery and spritey and delicious, and I love it. What's on your bucket list in an alcohol-free life? So I'm starting some trainings and certifications to become a flight nurse, which is a nurse who flies on helicopters between hospitals and from accident scenes. So I'm chipping away at that. And then I would love to go bum around Southeast Asia at some point in the next couple of years. And bucket list, honestly, just be a little bit more open about my sobriety with with the rest of the world. You know, it's something that I'm not ashamed of anymore, but I could still definitely reach out a little bit more and try to uh, share my experiences. So another thing I'm looking to do. Here's just an idea, Gracie. (laughs) Recovery Elevator is doing an alcohol-free trip to Thailand and Cambodia. The January 21st, love to have both you guys. Okay, so I do have enough time, hopefully, to plan for it. So uh, I will will let you. I'm very hopeful um, about doing that. And uh, with my new job coming up, I'll have to see if that's feasible, but I would absolutely love to. What parting piece of guidance could you give to listeners? It sounds lame, but feel your feelings. And love yourself, like love yourself before you love anybody else. Make sobriety the most important thing in your life each day at a time before any other people's drama or crises, just put your sobriety first. And if it means not going out, then don't go out. If it means, you know, for a few weeks, just bumming around at home, reading your book. I can tell you firsthand, there is a joy in doing that and you will not be missing out on anything. So just put your sobriety first, love yourself, and feel those feelings. And before we depart, Gracie, give listeners your own. You might need to ditch the booze if line. (laughs) Yeah, um, you might need to ditch the booze if you are an avid camper and want to achieve the perfect amount of hydration with drunkenness. And so you mix vodka with flavored smart water 
and um, just end up making a total ass out of yourself and throwing up and uh, ruining your camping trip. Yeah, good time. I love it. Gracie, thank you so much for joining us today. I love the conversation. You rocked it. Nice job. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for all you do and, and for what you're contributing to to this community and people who are curious about this and people who are, are maintaining your sobriety because I think Recovery Elevator is, is awesome. Oh, thank you for the kind words. Thanks, Gracie. Hope is the problem. There is one more thing I want to add to this. In fact, that podcast could have been an hour long and I had some great feedback and of course, I had a couple people be like, dude, Paul, how could you? And that's okay. I still feel adamant about this. Um, so if we don't want hope, um, then what do we want? I assume the opposite of hope. Well, that would be despair. And we definitely don't want that. So what do we want? Well, we want to be somewhere right in the middle. And what's that word called? Wait for it. Wait for it. Balance. Yes, we want balance with this. I once heard a wise man say the key to joy in life is being okay with everything that happens. If that's the case, then we're not hoping for anything to be different. So we need to find a way to be okay with everything, both the good and the bad. The balance we want is right in the middle, not hoping for a different moment to arrive, but to embrace the only one we have ever been in. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. I love you guys. Thank you.